Welcome to The Long Game. My goal with this show and guests is to learn how to build self-sustaining companies and to explore the ideas, principles, and technology to make it all happen. I hope you learn something and enjoy. All righty. Well, welcome to the podcast. Fun to have you on. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Let's start with a, an easy one. And maybe this is very broad. The, the what lob. is sales? Yeah, the, the soft is, law, the easy questions. What, yeah. what would you define sales as being? Yeah, so, man, that's such a good question. And I'm sure you could get a hundred answers to this question. To me, it is a process of finding. Actually, let me start over. It is a process of having conversations with people who have a need for your solution that ultimately lead to revenue for your organization. And that can be obviously like pre-sales, that can be post-sales. It's just people who need and or have your solution who can pay you for it and ultimately getting them to do so. Yeah, I mean, I think the finding part is often not emphasized enough. And so you mentioned finding the people who have the capacity and then getting them to do so. And when we think of sales, often maybe the first impression that everyone has of sales is like door-to-door salespeople and then yeah. used car salesmen. And yeah. it's all about kind of that pressure style like pushing people to, to make a decision. Mall. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, but there's, there's this entire aspect of finding the right person. If you find the right person, then obviously yeah. the conversation is very different versus someone at a mall that you're, you have two seconds to make an impression on. Yeah. What, what goes into finding, like, what is that process of how do you even find who you should find and then find them? And then we'll get into yeah. that, the convincing them part, but what yeah. does that process typically look like? So if I could like amend my previous statement, I would also say like identifying and then having a conversation with, and I think that what we're talking about is sort of like the identifying quotient of that. And that is a complex and potentially like growing even more complex, sir, like thing to do right now. Um, I don't think it's getting easier. I think it's harder. There's more data sets available to companies than ever before. It's figuring out what pieces of information um, in, in sales, we often call it like firmographic data, make somebody a good fit for your solution. But before you can even get there, right, to, to making a list or creating a, uh, a sort of target of accounts or, or people contacts that you should go talk to, you first have to have a very intricate understanding of the problem your tool, technology, or service solves. And that is, in my opinion, the art of sales, because while it is so simple to say, what's the problem we're solving? It is really hard to answer that in a meaningful way that matters to people that you talk to. And so I've spent a lot of time in my career really helping companies get crisp on that. And I, you know, have sort of used something called a customer impact equation to do that, which is a problem solution statement, problem, impact of problem, solution, impact of solution, very simple conceptually, very hard to get right. Once you have that, you can then say, okay, cool. This is a unique problem that my challenge solution, my, my technology or solution solves. Now, how can I tell that people are experiencing this problem? And then you can build really great lists that allow you to go have really good conversations. Um, but that is all very hard to do well 
harder to do at scale, um, very hard to do when you start to have complex product portfolios, even harder to do as you start to have complex sales segments. Um, and the complexities are endless, really, in terms of like how you do that well. It's amazing how much the sales process that you described of identifying the problem, identifying yeah. the solution, figuring out how you communicate that, and then go find your prospects and kind of build a list and, and kind of do everything downstream. Yeah. But the first part is almost identical to the custom software process, which is identify mm. someone that has a pain point, identify what you, you hypothesize, or ideally through customer surveys, what yeah. the solution should be, and then go build, right? It's kind of that build part. So on the sales it's side, it's, it's almost It's interesting analogous. that you say that because I do think if most people are talking about sales, they're talking about the point that the conversation begins. So many people are like sales equals account executive having conversation with prospective buyer sales process begins. Um, I do think that it's really not taken as seriously as it should be the process of like building target lists and going to get those people and like getting them in a pool to even know you. But I also think the portion where you're doing sort of the, the problem statements, it's highly creative. And I think that so much of sales now is seen as sort of an analytical like RevOps engine um, of process and efficiencies and inputs and outputs. And while that's all true, none of those processes can work on a broken problem statement. Um, and so, so many organizations are optimizing for the process instead of sort of the foundation that the process sits on, which is, are we even identifying the right problem? Are we talking about something that people care about? Do we even know they have this problem when we bring our hypotheses to bear? And so I think it's really interesting that you say that because I don't know if people in revenue view it maybe the way the, the way that people at in product development do. Like in product development, that is seen as a very right. creative process. You want your creative brains. There's entire creative frameworks for that. If you pop over into sales, that, that doesn't quite exist yet. And I think we're just it's all dollars and cents and, and ROI on impact and time savings. Yes. Yes. And also like it's, it's sort of this hustle to build a better list. And it's like, we're only going to build a better list with better insights and where are those insights coming from? And I think that's sort of a very important moment that's happening in the way sales is trying to have conversations today. Where do you see the distinction between marketing versus sales with the the work that you've described it's a lot more upstream from just having the conversation it's also mm -hmm. kind of the strategic side and the identification of the problem and the person and where we find them so where do you see the distinction the overlap and then also the distinction between marketing and sales oh so this is also like i'm sure if i if i watch this back a year from now like my answer may evolve because i think it's evolved 30 times in the span of my career thus far I think it's very different when you're talking B2C versus B2B. I've spent my career in B2B. Um, B2C, I'm not sure that it does. I think marketing plays a lot of the roles in, in curating the customer journey, the, the sort of moments of interaction, um, you know, for, for uh, customers in, in the brands. Um, I, I tend to think, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, but that B2C companies are maybe a little bit further along in understanding the intricacies of sort of where the buyer is and what the buyer is thinking at every moment in time because they have to, because they've been sort of forced into expertise on that. I think B2B is lagging because we don't have as much intrinsic 
insight or data into our buyer all of the time. Now that kind of breaks down and changes when you look at things like PLG motions or things like that, but like a traditional sort of sale is us hypothesizing a lot about our buyers that we don't necessarily intrinsically know. We're guessing a lot of things. Um, and so in a B2B organization, I think marketing and sales probably draw the line somewhere around marketing, owning, branding, and positioning um, at sort of a more macro level. And then sales owning more micro, um, almost think about it as like buying trigger specific messaging. And that's not to say that they can't communicate well on the two, but usually, especially like an outbound, which is my expertise, we're trying to figure out is X action happening right now that we can sort of speak to and diagnose to create action from the prospect. I think marketing tends to sort of say, hey, we're going to sort of follow you through the entirety of your journey versus try to find you at that exact point of impact. Um, but that's increasingly changing too. You know, like increasingly, like I think there's demand folks who would argue with me on that and they, they're well within their right, right? Like they're trying to create journeys of their own. So I think it's getting very fuzzy these days. I think that's a good thing because I think that the closer we can bring the departments, the better. Um but it is a it is a fuzzy domain. Is that fuzziness due to like we're converging to an ultimate like this is the best way, or is it due to like the buyer has changed how they buy and it's ever evolving and there's no like ultimate version that's that's perfectly crafted and it's just always yeah. going to be this moving target of of shifting and evolving. Yeah, so I, I think that the buyer has definitely changed in how they're they're buying. I think more technology is available and data is available to the buyer than ever before. I think um, that's very much like a challenger fundamental, which is, you know, most buying journeys are complete, uh, 70, 70 to 80% complete before you even talk to a salesperson, which is pretty staggering, um, which puts a lot of demand on marketing teams to be there in those sort of like jobs to be done moments of educating feeding up, uh, you know, the content engines that are sort of being searched as part of the, the buying process, sh showing up where the salesperson can't, um, and then enabling, you know, more and more, I think even enabling the seller to see where these buyers are taking action. So you have things that are actually feeding data back to sellers right now that, you know, hey, these, these people have been on our site researching these things, buying activity is taking place, like getting that information to the seller um, so that it can inform even stronger messaging. Um, you know, that's been a really revelatory motion between marketing and sales. Um, but yeah, the journey is much more complex and it's it's a lot more shrouded in B2B. It really is. And I think that there's been this sort of ever-evolving um, notion of like B2B sales needs to revolutionize. What is that revolution going to look like? Um, and we're sort of within it right now. It's fascinating talking to you because you, you understand so well the different aspects of your B2B SaaS, like the the sales, the marketing, the, the, the entire product journey. I feel like I'm talking to someone who sees the matrix and is able to kind of like pierce the veil and like see behind and, oh, I see all these yeah. systems and connections and maybe there's fuzziness, but I know exactly how they all interweave and connect. That's first of all, that's really nice of you. And I, I don't know, like it is, I'd say in the last two years, the landscape has changed so much. 
Um, we used to have, um, you know, really, really big sales teams. Um, we, we used to have really bifurcated, you know, sales and marketing departments. Now we're seeing things like community led engines. We're seeing, um, like PLG motions. I mean, it's been around for a while, but like, you know, those, what is PLG? So product like growth, growth. it's like growth that's happening through the product itself. Like a Miro would be a really great example of that. Um, but you know, it's the way that the tech stack for sales and marketing has evolved has been really rapid. Um, and I think a lot of people are struggling to catch up like myself included some days. I'm just like, wow, like, where is this going? Where is this headed? What is the right stack? As somebody who sort of set my stack many years ago, I, I question it all the time. Um, and it's a very interesting time to be in this space. So you mentioned stack. If you come into a new company today, maybe kind of highlight both things. So one, what you're just ideal stack or how you think through the different stack and steps and pieces of the process. And then number two would be if you're coming into an existing organization, um, where do you look? What, what are you trying to understand before you start making decisions of, okay, let's swap this out. Let's change this. Let's tweak this. Oh, this part, this part upstream is, it's not even working. So let's go upstream to, to, to figure that out. So I think this, the stack that I would recommend or suggest for a company is highly dependent on where they are in their growth journey and how complex their product and their delivery motion is. Like it, Kind of and is this back. like just B2B SaaS typically, or would you like, do you think it broadens beyond that for, for most companies and sectors and spaces? I would say that, I would say that your, your stack should, should a hundred percent reflect the buying journey and the customer journey. And the very first thing that I would look at at any company is what is that, right? So what is your current buying journey? What is your current customer journey? Are those two thing in, things in line? And then what are the different moments where we really need to be enabled by technology to do something? Because I think we're coming out of probably right now an era of an of a very like bloated stack where we were sort of buying point solutions for everything. And like every, this is like so exhausting because it's so cliche, right? Like every organization goes through this, like every like industry or like sub vertical of technology goes through this where they go through a point in time of being very bloated with point solutions and really lacking uh, cohesion. Uh, and I think sales has sort of been in that for a little bit of time because the core and central solution for any sales team is their CRM and their CRM is how they live their buying journey, their customer journey every single day. And it is the language that they create to talk about it. So what is your distinct data set? What are the things that you have to know about a company to know how you will perform with them or to know how you can impact them or to even know how you're doing with current customers? Like what are what are the things we must know that we must be monitoring? It becomes the lens upon which KPIs are created. And so like first and foremost, like the CRM is your foundation because it should be a direct reflection of your buying journey in a technology. And I think where CRMs start to break down is where they aren't lockstep with the buying journey or where they're not collecting information meaningfully. Um, They're collecting information randomly um, and where they're not sort of viewed as the window to the buying journey, honestly. That makes a lot of sense. So 
in terms of the backbone of the stack and of the system, CRM, yeah. central, everything needs to be piped really in there. You need quality data, accurate data. What are the kind of second level tiers I also think of we're like, tooling we're, that you... Yeah, we're far beyond like anybody arguing with that too. It's like even like finance right. and CEOs, like everyone wants to see wants their window into the revenue organization and a CRM is your means to do that. I think there's like compelling questions being asked if like, you know, like, can we, can we one day potentially just use Tableau? Like, are there like, is, is the CRM a restrictive, um, a restrictive tool? I don't think so is my answer. I don't think that's that we're going to see anything change there, but yeah, absolutely. I think we're also sort of in a race where, um, like the chief CRMs are set, um, you know, it's sort of like a HubSpot and CRM, uh, Salesforce, like showdown at the end of the day. Um, I am a Salesforce lover. I've worked in Salesforce my whole life. Although HubSpot is impressive and doing really cool things. They, you know, make me wonder if I need to dig deeper into them, but yeah, I'd say that that is sort of like the two. So Salesforce is your kind of main pick then on the CRM side. What about other tools that you like that you would use that given a blank slate that you would set up? Yeah. So for me, especially as somebody who works specifically in outbound a lot. So how do I go get conversations? How do I go reach as many people as possible? Um, there's a category of, of tool um, that allows you to sort of sequence and communicate with your, you know, prospective buyers. It is integrated with the CRM, of course. Um, it's sort of the outreach.ios, the sales lofts, um, you know, now even the Apollos. Um, there's, you know, increasingly uh, more folks in this category. And it's it's sales engagement. And it's really, really great for outbound, um, although it's kind of going through a metamorphosis in that I think it was used to just send crap to a lot of people for a long time. And now, you know, there's new regulations around how tools like this can be used, deliverability, um, things like that. Um, but ultimately, it's it's an incredible tool to have conversation in mass with, uh, with your ICP. What's your preferred option out of the bunch? I've always used and suggested outreach. I think from a usability perspective, it's really great for teams. Um, although, you know, if you're a younger team, if you're a younger company, Apollo is great. Um, and Apollo is great for, for a number of reasons. Um, it comes with a data set inherent, so you don't have to go get sort of a data tool um, separately. Um, although there's, I'm sure, many people who say like, that needs, you need additional data on top of it. Um, but it can get you pretty far and it's, and it's, you know, V1. Um, but I've always suggested outreach. I think you can do some of the coolest dashboarding, um, with outreach and Salesforce in conjunction. Um, and I sort of start to see that breakdown with other tools. Um, and so if I was building sort of my dream stack, those are the two that I would go the, in on the, for sure. The dream team. <laughs> the dream team. Yeah. And then and you have, any, uh, any, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and then you have data. Um, and data is like an entire category in and of itself, but you actually can't, um, you can't execute great motions without it, right? So, so much of, of the messaging that you'll create is actually segmented um, on, you know, certain data data points. So, you know, are we reaching out to people in certain geos? Are we reaching out to people who already have certain technologies in place that we're selling against or that we partner with, right? Are we 
Uh, what are the firmographic pieces of information around like buying groups that we need to know, um, budget cycles, all of these things, you would create messaging campaigns off of these pieces of data. And if you don't have access to them or if they're not high quality, then you can't execute good messaging campaigns. So of course, like Zoom Info is, is among the most well-known. I think it's a really interesting category because you also have really up and coming tools like Clay.io is a really cool one um, that uh, allow you to segment by really, really cool data points. Um, but you honestly, if you're going to do great messaging at scale, you're going to need to invest in the data category. Um, and that is highly dependent, again, on what information you and your team and your product need to know about a company to execute a great messaging campaign. So for some companies, Zoom Info will do just fine. But like, let's say that we work with someone in the healthcare vertical, their specific data that they need to know that Zoom Info doesn't provide. So they have to go find alternate data sets to sort of tell them, you know, who is your broker or, you know, like, like what sort of um, medical plans is a company using, like things of that nature. Um, a Zoom Info isn't going to have that. Has any AI tooling bubbled up or, or come up to your world that you actually think is worthwhile and using, or do you think it's all too early right now? Yes, for sure. I mean, AI is a game changer in terms of uh, prospecting motions. I think it's one of the it's one of the easiest ways to almost like crawl quickly, right? To data crawl quickly. So like if you can just put into chat GPT, you know, like what did the latest annual report for this company say are, you know, the top themes or the top risks. And that can pull it back to you in, in seconds versus having to actually go to the site, read the report. I mean, like that's game changing for a prospecting motion. I, I think any of these tips and tricks though, and like this is the catch 22, they're only as good as how you intend to use them. Right. So like if you don't have that as a defined motion that you run in your prospecting plays, it won't work, right? Like it, like you're. It's meaning it needs to be like processized. It needs to be a yeah, step and consistently like, done. Yeah. When when do I ask my sellers to go seek that out? How do we use it? Like how does this data get like elegantly deployed in our messaging? Um, you know, I think AI is a game changer in terms of feeding us this information quickly. It's even a game changer in in terms of quickly creating a messaging draft for us. But especially when we're talking about like outbound messaging that has to be highly relevant and highly personalized to work anymore, it requires a human touch at some level um, to be able to make it that. Who knows? Like I was just shown a tool the other day that is basically like an outreach powered by AI where you just load in a bunch of um, PDFs and the message campaigns just get created. It's like it, it's in the works, like it's happening right now. Um, I don't know to what results, but it will be interesting to watch. Have you seen that? Uh, there's an Instagram ad out there. I think it's on Instagram. I'm sure it's other places, but it's a, it's a conversation with an AI. And I don't know how Wait. staged it is or how fake it is. I'll try to find it. It's popped up a few different times, but it has a full-on conversation. It does a cold call and then someone picks up and I have say, it. hey, do you have a moment? You haven't seen this? Oh, it's, 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 if it's real, which I am a little bit doubtful because I don't think we're at that level yet. Yeah. Um, but it specifically says, Oh, Oh, you don't have a few minutes. No problem. I was just going to tell you about such and such. Um, and, and how I could, you know, save you X, Y, and Z. Like, do you have 30 seconds actually? Right. It, it does it very, very effectively. Um, yeah. and again, obviously it's an ad, so read into it what you will, but yeah. do you think that there's ever going to be, do you think like, we'll get to that point where you just have a conversation with a 
AI human that sounds real that maybe we need to disclose that it's not, but do you think we'll get to yeah. that point? That's a good question. I mean, I think we'll certainly get to the point where it is an option. Um, and I think the question, the That's question will be, option. Yeah. yeah, the question will be, how does it get deployed thoughtfully within an organization? Just like any tech. It's like, I remember, you know, for, I guess it was maybe like six, seven years ago when we bought outreach for the first time, like Jelly Vision, the company I was a VP of sales for, we were early adopters of Gong. We were early adopters of outreach sales tools that then were very much up and coming that we couldn't have imagined a world of having these previously, right? That's going to continue to happen. I think we also thought once we get gong and once we get outreach, our sales problems will be solved. And we found out that that's not true because there's always going to be complexity in delivery and training and market conditions that change. And like nothing is static enough for these tools to be like the savior of your process, but how they get deployed and what you do with them is sort of the art now, um, which I think is why you see the rise of revenue operations as a function with best in class go-to-market organizations, um, you know, analysts and, and BI and, you know, all of these people who are just looking at sales data and, and trying to curate better plays. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's changing on so many levels. I'm sure it's going to it change is. buying behavior too, because if you have an agent representing your interests and you say, Hey, go find me X, Y, and Z tools. Right. And then you have on the marketing side, maybe they're creating content that's yeah. AI based and it's creating content. So we've got like different representations of different business functions, different humans, different buyers that are all kind of out there interacting. And yes, the human gets involved at some point, but it'll be, it's a, it's a strange new world for sure. It is for sure. And I think like, I tend to think, and I probably think this because I'm in revenue and because, you know, like I want to believe this, right? So happy to have, I would actually love to have more arguments on this topic with people who know a lot more about AI than I do. Um, I tend to think that sales is one of the most human things that we do as people. Like we've been doing it forever. It is not a purely logical transaction. It's highly emotional. Um, and I don't know that like the emotional art can ever be removed from it. Would it be good if we could, like, would it lead to smarter buying decisions? Would it lead to, you know, better outcomes in, in, uh, in SaaS transactions? Yeah, probably. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's how people work. And so long as people are still buying, I think that it has to be a people process first, highly enabled to be efficient. Um, but I, I just don't know if you can take like the humanity out of sales. It's a very emotional thing. Yeah. I mean, I've gone pretty far to, down the AI rabbit hole. And mm -hmm. if there was one intellectual job that is, is, like low on the list to be replaced. I do think it is sales because there's such an art of storytelling where we've sat around campfires for all of our like ancestral lives. And mm -hmm. so it's just baked into how we connect and how we make decisions. Now, I think one of the things that you said that is, is probably the way in which it could potentially be replaced is if humans aren't making the buying decisions, because yeah. if you have an AI making the decision, then- Absolutely 
maybe it becomes less important. But I do feel like out of everything, I think engineering, design, marketing, like I think a lot of these functions can can be replaced by AI. And I think always human plus AI is generally going to win, at least for the next very long while, in yeah. my opinion. Um, but it is going to be interesting. But I do think sales is probably like one of the the least replaceable. It's, it's so interesting to hear you say that as someone in sales, where I really hear the firsthand fear from people who are very afraid, um, you know, that sales could potentially be one of the first um, to go. And I think that there's different roles in sales, right? I think that we've, we've like, I think the BDR role, sort of the first line of, of conversation and sort of meeting scheduling and, ge and generating demand, I think that will be one of the first that's disrupted. I yes. think CS, customer success, um, is, is already sort of like ripe in the disruption process in terms of how much can we be automating there. And like, what I also think is interesting is like, that's been happening. Like even, even outreach begged the question, how much of this can we be automating? Like how much of the actions that a BDR takes every single day can sort of be pre-programmed. And then we really ask the BDR to sit on top of it and monitor it and personalize it and, um, you know, just sort of adjust the sales. Um, I think we found that that's not as easy said as done. I think the theory was that that we were going to kind of set it on autopilot and reap the benefits. We've run out of time to do that. Like, I think that the jig is up and that it's, Again, we're coming back to what is the strategy that any solution sits on because the solution can only be as good as the strategy that it's serving. And where we really saw these categories of technology get implemented without sound strategies to support them, we saw them fail. And the AI didn't prevent that failure, right? Like the fact that we had like robots controlling how many sequence steps were going out within 30 day periods of time across, you know, X amount of customer profiles and, you know, types of, uh, customer warmth and like all, all of the different, you know, pieces of insight that, that technology can grab. It didn't stop the campaigns from failing or being viewed as spam, right? Just sort of the ecosystem that we're in today. Yeah. The fundamental premise that you're building on top of isn't sound more automation, more speed, more volume, isn't necessarily going to fix it. And maybe it's actually detrimental because it might mask some of the issues because maybe you do get a slightly nominal increase with more volume, but the, the, the ratio at which you're getting, you know, signal to noise and actual value back, yes. it gets blurred and, and where, what you should be doing is saying, Hey, our fundamental strategy is busted. Let's go back to the drawing board, start there. And then sure we can op automate and optimize things down the road, but doing yes. that too early can actually take you down the wrong path. hundred percent. I can't remember. I'll never, I can't remember who told me this, but I'll never forget what they told me. They said, it's just as easy to scale failure. Like anything can scale. So can failure. Like if you just, if you just put gasoline in the tank and let it go, like it will go. Right. But it, if it's, and I say this all the time when I talk about faster companies. train wreck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, you sent the wrong message out 700 times. It was still the wrong message. Like, great. We were able to send it in mass. It didn't help us actually move the needle for our business. And I think like those conversations are the conversations that are happening right now around like, we all agree that this technology is great. We don't necessarily agree with the strategies that are being used within it. And we're trying to reach sort of a, 
a better alignment on what that looks like. But those are the hard conversations that theoretically should have come first, but never do when you sort of see an exciting technology that you just want to use and try to understand. And so we're sort of on the backside of those learnings right now. And the world was very scared when Google and Yahoo were like, oh, like new guidelines for deliverability um, that looked like they were just going to shatter a lot of, a lot of, you know, sales messaging. Um, and I think they've since walked that back and, you know, whatever happened, happened. But uh, the question is still there. And I think the timeline is still ticking. It's inevitable that we're not going to be able to just send trash at scale anymore. So what are the alternatives? Yeah. I, and I want to get into strategy because you have such you have such a breadth of experience on that side. But one of the things that you were talking about is you can scale. It's just as easy to scale failure as it is success. So you need to be able to be very clear about what success is versus failure. And I think yeah. we all have this idea that success is so obvious and it's tons of money and everything's working great. And failure is, oh, there's no responses. There's no sales. It's clearly yeah. a failure. And that's true. But when you're kind of in that middle, right, where it's like, oh, well, we got some meetings, we, maybe we got some sales, we, right? Or, or maybe we're having maybe more than some, but we don't know if we're doing that well or that poorly. How do you actually measure success? How do you know if a strategy, whether yeah. it's on the very tactical level of like, here's an email and it needs a click-through rate of this, or on the strategy level, this is the strategy, the campaign that we're trying to do or the outreach that we're trying to do. How do you actually measure that success? And how do you think about that when, when working with a company? Yeah. So I think this is really important because I do think that um, companies don't always give themselves time to run tests to establish baselines. I think this is especially important for um, earlier stage companies who just like don't have a baseline. So a lot of the companies that I work with on, on things like this, they've never done, you know, they've never really gone through the process of defining their value proposition, defining an ICP, creating a list and taking a, taking a curated bespoke message to it, right? Um, which are sort of the steps of, of doing outbound or, you know, candidly like doing sales because you don't have a sales process until you have conversations, right? And I think that when we work with companies who don't have these baselines, they're, they get a little nervous about, hey, we're going to do this and we have some assumptions in terms of how we should see sort of like best in class messages look. Um, but we don't know. We don't know if we've identified the right problem statement. We don't know that we're taking it to the right persona. We have to give ourselves time to test, see if we're at under or over baselines, adjust, and then do it again. Once we sort of see the inputs that we want to see, we can say, okay, now we are ready to scale. So like you have to test and iterate before you scale so that you can sort of say, we are scaling the right thing. We're, there, there is a whole slew of gain here for us. And we know that because our tests were hitting certain baselines. Um, you know, in sales, those baselines are really quite easy to measure. It's how many people did you reach out to? What was sort of the engagement on the other side? What is a receptivity to speak? And how do those conversations flow through the funnel? Um, and like we would, and worth working with companies, just create sort of these baseline dashboards that told us, hey, we're in a test phase. Here are our baselines. We're giving ourselves 30 days. Where are we? You run a sprint and then you assess and then you change and iterate for sort of the next phase it's not that different than like any other organization would sort of move through change management or would move through delivery. It just is sort of a new way of, for sales to think. 
because I think for so long sales has been like this shrouded and mysterious like art, like either you have it or you don't like, and right. I think now we're like, it's no, talent based. It's, yeah, yeah, like there's a, there's a lot of, of like very intentional AB testing and iterating and measurements that can happen in this ecosystem that sort of tell us if we're directionally on track. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. So it's, I mean, it's really, again, it's the same kind of concepts that have been in the product world for so long, which is identify your hypothesis, build your baseline, right? Get something out there, see how the consumer, the user, the, the, the mm -hmm. prospect responds to it, measure that with analytics or, or again, in the, in the product side, often you're trying to do primary conversations. Maybe that doesn't apply as much on the sales yeah. side and then define a new sprint, try something else, measure those results and, and see what yeah. happens. And I do think that it's like, maybe like the umbrella that this whole conversation needs to sit under is like, I'm not that old. Right. So like, I'm like very much like early mid my career. And when I started in sales, I had a CRM. Yes. But I physically picked up the phone and made my dials. Not a single person outside of myself knew what the heck I was saying or what I was doing, what was happening. Like we are not that far removed from a world in which this entire ecosystem was just blind like blind to what was there's being a, said. Here's a yeah. list. Here's a phone. Go. Try, <laughs> like something. try it. Right. And like, so, well, I'm like, we're in this time of high change. It's like, yeah, because we sort of went through the V1 of visibility, which is like, okay, we can actually see the emails that we're sending. We can actually hear the calls that we're having. That is still kind of new. Like it is kind of new for organizations to have that data. So like, I can't imagine, you know, what, I don't know what the, like, relevant metaphor is for like engineering, but it's like, we used to be literally like in a blind bubble in sales where it was very much go make it happen, question mark, you know, and I hope it does happen. And like, now we do have a lot of data and we have a lot of visibility, but we're still figuring out what we do with it. Um, and then you add in like AI complexity and like all of these things. And I think we're really trying to figure out like, wow, like what now? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, to to complete your analogy there for the for the the de de developer side, it would be punch cards and writing binary and then seeing if it compiles, right? You kind of do do all your work, you map it all out, you plug it in, you click run, you wait 24 hours if it's the super old computers or binary compiles over, you know, a short period of time, but it's kind of like doing all that by hand and then hoping something good happens whereas now there's, you know, the the product world is so much more metric driven and process driven and iterative and kind of agile in its methodology so it's it's well but it's exciting to hear wild. that sales is at that part yeah but like it's wild like my friend and I were just joking we started as BDRs together in our very first sales job and we were like do you remember when I wanted to listen in on your sales calls and we would literally use a a splitter like into the phone jack for two like headsets and I would have to like be at the actual phone with her. And it's like, I can still remember those days. And candidly, like a lot of the most senior leadership and revenue like came from those days still, right? Like that's where they cut their teeth. That, that was their boiler room. Like the boiler room for, for modern day sellers is a hundred percent virtual. If you want to do calls together, you're hopping on like zoom blocks. If you want to hear each other, you're, sh you're shuffling through gong to find the recordings and access has measurably improved, but like you're largely doing it alone in your house. 
which is a completely right. different world than what I, than I started in, in sales. Going to the strategy part, if you're joining a company, if you're kind of evaluating their, their sales process or helping them figure out that yeah. high level, are we even doing the right thing? You talked about the metrics component, you talked about kind of some of the tooling. What does coming up with that creative, that art form, that strategy aspect look like and how should companies lean into it if they don't necessarily have someone with your expertise? Yeah. So I think whenever I start working with a company, if I can, I try not to speak to anyone at the company and I try to go straight to their customers and to their prospects because there's so much often lost in translation translation between the two where it's, it's company has really been told this narrative and they're taking that narrative to market. But like, we don't know that the person who created that narrative created it with their customer in mind or created the, it with their customer customer's problem in mind or an awareness of their customer's problem. So like you almost have to put blinders on and sort of say, I have to assume that we know nothing. And you kind of go to the source and you start asking questions and you start becoming an expert in the, in the end user, the customer's day-to-day, -day, their ecosystem, their world, um, the technology sets that they you know rely on, the stacks that they create, the internal politics of their organizations, the pressures that they're under, the deadlines that they exist within. And then you sort of take that and you mirror it with whatever messaging is currently happening. And you sort of say, okay, where, where are we sitting? Like how close or far are we? And of course you have to you do hold, that. You hold both up next to each other, who the customer actually is. Yeah. And then who, what we're actually saying and, and see how much overlap there is. Yep. And then like, I think the other thing is like, is what you're currently saying working, right? It's pretty easy to tell if it's working or not. And people don't usually call me if it is, right? Like that's not, I don't get a lot of calls where it's like, hey, like we're killing it. Like, you know, like help us kill it more. It's like, it's usually like, it's usually me talking to people who are like, we're struggling to get traction on this. So we we don't necessarily have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but a lot of times it's, it's like increasing specificity. And I think this is something that, especially if you're an early stage founder who is more product than sales minded, it's really hard for you to know just how specific you need to get with these companies. Um, and just, uh, just, how narrow you have to be to begin conversations. Like I think a lot of founders really relish and they rightfully so in like the holistic opportunity of their product and how great it can be uh, at like its max utilization and like a best case environment. But that's not a sales experience. Like those aren't the conversations that sellers are having. Sellers are trying to really hook people on a really relevant use case that's going to move the needle for someone right now. And so a lot of times you have to sort of pare down the picture, make it way more specific, cut out a lot of the noise um, and then test, right? Like, Hey, like how close are we to this? Taking those same message structures back to those customers and saying, Hey, is this, is this sounding feeling right? Um, even I think I encourage a lot of founders to just give like, tell, tell prospective customers like, Hey, we're just looking for feedback. We'll literally like pay you to just sit down with us and tell us how close we're getting. Right. Like, are we close or far away to something that if it landed in your inbox would make sense to you? What are we missing? And like doing a lot of that rev work in the beginning helps you so much. It's such a, it's such a strong investment to have made. 
to really amplify how quickly you can run these tests and get your messaging right. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think I never expected that you would actually be talking to customers and prospects, but the fact that you, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Those are the people mm -hmm. who actually showed up and resonated with something or would be the potential people you'd be sending messaging to. Yeah. So and oftentimes again, they really just... like a third party too, because we can sort of come in and sort of say, we know that you love this technology. We know that like, but what was your experience purchasing this? Like, you know, what was, what was initially confusing to you? Like when you were having your first conversation, where did you leave the call scratching your head and sort of saying like, this much makes sense, but this doesn't make sense to me. Like how easy or hard was this to buy? And I think like any great VP of sales, like that starts a job, like that's one of the first things they're going to go do because you're just trying to understand like, is what we think we're saying actually what our customers are hearing? And is it even the right thing to say? Or is there a mo more potent entry point that's going to allow us to have better conversations? Um, and I think that's what we're all, we should always be testing. Like that's kind of never over um, because I don't think that there's any job, like any persona that you could sell to where they have a completely static ecosystem that never evolves or changes or has, you know, different problem sets from year to year. So like this, this idea that you can sort of set and forget your messaging, I think is very antiquated. And is that the predominant issue that you see when you come into an organization? Yes, there's tooling, there's automation, there's workflows, there's data accuracy, there's all of that. But is the predominant fundamental issue that what we are saying versus what people are hearing slash what people want, there's just a gap. Is that typically the main issue that, that you're coming in to solve? Yes. And I will say that I typically solve it for earlier stage companies. And like the problem obviously evolves in complexity as you, as you work with larger scale companies, you know, it's, we've heard, you know, through my work, I've talked to larger organizations and a lot of their issue is like, actually, how do we help our teams navigate the tooling that we have in place? Just because you have a tool doesn't mean that it's, it's working in a way that is allowing your teams to do with it what they need to do. Um, I think the longer that you have a tool, the more that it just sort of accumulates junk um, and the harder it gets to sort of sift out what's working um, and to keep it fresh and to keep it really relevant to the market. It's so like a lot of larger companies, they really need help like maintaining um, these message tracks or like iterating them or like pulling out what's not working, refreshing what is like they have entire teams of people who are sort of dedicated to doing that. We're on the earlier stage side. It's really like, are we are we sending the message to the right people? Are we sending the message to the right people at the right time? Have we identified sort of the buying triggers that sort of create urgency for our prospects? Um, and a lot of times it's just setting that initial motion so that you can even get to a point where you could potentially scale it. This conversation has been wildly eye-opening for me. I, I feel like every time I chat with you, I, I, I like learned, it's so funny you know, that you say that because it just feels <laughs> like in sales world, it's like very like simple, I guess simple, but not easy and not always well executed, simple, right? Like easy. the concept itself is simple. Send the right message to the right person at the right time. Um, but that's a really hard thing to do. And, and spend, spend years or, or the rest of your life iterating to improve that cycle and, and have that mm -hmm. feedback come in. And I think the, the other aspect too, that, that is just helpful and refreshing as well is it's very easy to get sucked into the the how the specifics the minutiae of you know specific words the campaign but to yes you do need to do some of that stuff like you have to actually do the actions and do the inputs and you do, and, you do. 
ship messages, but you also need to continue to have that lens of, are we even talking to the right person? Are we even talking about it in the right way? Like, where do we find them? And kind of vacillating between macro and, and micro is, it's a, it's an art form, but clearly you're able to kind of span both gaps and, and identify problems on both sides. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there's a, I think there's really good conversation happening right now around not introducing complexity where it's not required. So I think that there's sort of like B2B buying cycles that we're really used to running um, and playbooks that have historically worked really well for us. It's sort of, you know, X amount of calls until a proposal and, you know, like, like all of it. And I think you're seeing there's really incredible companies who have completely disrupted that, right? Where it's like you're buying relatively expensive products without talking to sales at all. Um, and it's like, I think getting the right message to the right person at the right time is important, but then also knowing how you can ease the friction for them to take action with you um, and curate buying processes that are easy for your end users to move through. And that's sort of like a whole nother problem set that I think revenue teams are facing, especially in B2B. Um, and that's really morphing because the expectations of the buyers have changed. They don't want antiquated sort of show, show up to the meeting and then I'll show you a demo. They want information ahead of time. They want to come prepared with sort of a point of view. And I think that's where marketing really does come in is in arming them with that and ensuring that when we do have conversations, we're having conversations with people who really understand what it is we do. Jessica, if people want to learn more about your thoughts and maybe hire you, where should they go to yeah. uh, learn more about you? Yeah. So um, honestly, the best place to go is my LinkedIn. Um, there's an, a book, book and an appointment um, button right there in my uh, profile. And the best place to start is just with the conversation. Um, book 30 minutes and let's just brainstorm. Honestly, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to do. And definitely check out Jessica's LinkedIn posts. They are phenomenal and always very insightful. Thank you. Thank <laughs> thanks you. for coming on the show, Jessica. Yeah, thanks for having me.